Earful of Leadership is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host, and the content of this podcast is not meant to provide any legal or medical advice. Welcome to the Earful of Leadership podcast. We're so glad you're here. We're joined today by Captain Angela Day, an officer in the United States Army, and we are going to be talking about different leadership models, working in different work environments that perhaps may be toxic, and the Dunning-Kruger effect. Welcome, Captain Day. Hello. It's so great. Thank you guys for having me. I'm very excited. We're so happy to have you. Can you um, introduce yourself to us and tell us about um, your journey and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. So I, a little bit about myself, uh, how, how I became an army audiologist from very beginning. I actually had no idea I would ever join the military. I was looking into becoming a business major, um, stumbled upon speech language pathology, and then eventually realized that, hey, I love audiology. I love learning about ears, diagnosing, treating, all of it. So when I made the jump into grad school, I remember there was a, a not a recruiter, not yet. So we had um, a army audiologist actually came and spoke to us, and she told us, all the things that she does. And I remember thinking, that sounds amazing. I want in. Sad thing about that, that was my first year in grad school. And for audiology, it's four years more. So kind of didn't really think I would ever really go for it. um, Because a lot of things had changed in my life. I didn't think I would ever leave Pittsburgh. I was in like a very serious relationship. And then year three, or no, I'm sorry, end of going into year three. Um, so end of year two, huge breakup in my life. I started to question a lot of things and end up finding that I loved, like found peace in, in working out, going to the gym. So really got into really great shape, best shape of my life. And for looking into externships, which you got to start doing in your third year, well, out of nowhere, I just started thinking of, of that um, army, audio- army audiologist that I met a couple years ago and then found out that one of my um, colleagues who was a year ahead of me did the externship program through Walter Reed. So I Ooh. reached out to her, try to get as much information as possible, get a little bit more insight on like what exactly if it really is like I remembered the presentation. And so she was like that and then some. So I found the recruiter, had a quite a journey to get my packet in um, and was luckily like very, very lucky to, to get accepted. So became an army, became the army audiologist, uh, went to Walter Reed and then my first official duty station because Walter Reed, um, love it but i would say that it was it was mostly for completing up my school year so my first real taste of what we would be doing for a career in the military uh, was at fort carson in colorado springs so i had three years there quite an experience with a lot of ups and downs i went there only because there was a surprise separation and a surprise retirement so i went from you know, there's huge, 
huge installation, about 25,000 individuals, where there should be two and two 72 Charlies, 72 um, the Army audiologists. Mm-hmm. And it was just me, a little lieutenant, oh. not, not sure really a whole lot, unfortunately, what I was up to, what I was getting myself into. I had a staff of four technicians, one front desk worker, um, and really just kind of like had to dive in, had to learn a lot quickly. Um, But then as soon as I felt like I was picking up steam and like getting into my own, then next PCS cycle came and a captain came to, to take that chief slot. And then I dropped down to deputy. So quite a bumpy ride. Um, We had very different leadership styles and um, a lot of individuals had he was, yes. So learned a lot. <laughs> we'll dive, we'll dive in. We'll dive that. into that. Yeah. We'll definitely but, get into that. Yeah. So then I ended up PCSing, made it through those three years when now I'm here at Fort Bliss because for little personal backgrounds, I'm married to, at the time he was in the Air Force, married an Air Force officer. So we had a find a installation where we can both somewhat be close together. So I'm at Fort Bliss, right. he's at White Sands, and mm-hmm. he was a space officer in the Air Force, and he actually just recently became a space force officer. <gasps> no way. Yes. So oh he's no longer Air Force. I got to remember that because I keep forgetting. <laughs> That's so exciting. So, I want to ask so many questions about that, but I'm going to hold back. <laughs> it's okay. I was going to say, I don't know if I would be able to answer any because – they, their clearance is above top secret. It's like the need to know level. So I don't know what he does. Right. I don't know. So oh, that's, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got his, his background is super interesting. I go to him a lot for a lot of like questions. He was prior service and he's like a wealth of knowledge when it comes to like all things military. Like he definitely, he's definitely, unfortunately, but like a lot of times it was like the air force, teaching the army to soldier Mm. better. I see. Yeah. But well, you've had quite the journey to go from Walter Reed and then being in charge of everything at Fort Carson. And I, that's definitely something that we want to talk about is like when we're thrown into leadership positions and how that's pretty unique to the military where you just graduate and that's it. You're out and now you're in charge of people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that you've had that experience and we can definitely dive into that. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) So getting started, um, what has been your experience with mentorship so far in your career? So mentorship in my career, I getting to Fort Carson, as you know, you're leaving Walter Reed, you go during your time there, you start learning more of the audiologists in your community. There's only like 45 of us roughly in the entire uh, army. So Mm -hmm. like there's, small niche. You kind of have this like family vibe. A lot of them, you know, tell you, Hey, if you got questions, come out, reach out to me, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, and so I kind of felt like this, this kind of like warm hug, if you will, like everything's gonna be okay. Cause I got people I can roll back on. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got to Fort Carson, there's just things that you don't know. And right. And you don't know the, and because you don't know, you don't know the questions you need to be asking. So despite having like all these people who are like, oh yeah, like ask me anything. I'm here for you. I just didn't know the questions. And so I 
I feel like I struggled when I had a question, you know, absolutely I'd reach out to people. There's definitely some individuals that I looked up to. Unfortunately, I don't think I had a strong mentor though. Um, and some people would probably say, well, that's your fault in a sense where it's like, you need to be reaching out to these people and, and asking them my, my own struggles is that I feel like I'm a bother to people. And so I don't, I didn't want to be viewed as that. I want to be, you know, I can figure it out. I can, I can learn. I can, I've got this, but there's definitely times where I felt like I was drowning. And then when I would throw out like an SOS email and the response back was like lukewarm, you know, like, Oh, well, you don't have to worry about it right now. You know, if there was like something that would happen, then they're just like, they kind of would like ease your fears. But I felt like I was still drowning, only like treading a little bit better. So I feel like I struggled finding a really solid mentor. And it's no knock to anybody, you know, everyone, because there's so few of us, we're all working our butts off. And so everyone has their own issues that they're addressing. And I just felt though that like, I didn't have a good role model. I mean, not role model. I just didn't have a good mentor. Mm -hmm. And I, and you know, and I could also just be like, what defining a mentor is, is that someone is, is that your sounding board? Is that somebody, someone you go to only when you're struggling or is that someone when you're, you need coaching. So like, they might let you like, see how you handle it. And then like, if they notice that you're, you're still not quite getting it, you know, when they're going to throw you that life vest. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, finding a really good balance of, of kind of like all three of those things in my mind. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, I feel like I'm still struggling. There are still some people as a, you know, as I'm coming, coming into my own as an officer in the military, there are people that I now feel more comfortable going to knowing that like, okay, this person, I won't feel like I'm bothering them. This person is there for me. I can text them, call them. I don't feel like there's going to be like pushback or it's not going to be awkward. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, I've definitely learned that. Um, but it, it took to me, it took like way too long to get to that level. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been in for over five years and I feel like just last year, I finally was able to confidently reach out to individuals, have mm -hmm. a professional conversation, um, ask the right questions and then learn from whatever advice and information that they gave me. So, and, and I don't know if also, again, like my fault for thinking like I needed that within the 72 Charlie community, but as when I went through a course last year, um, I met a really phenomenal individual and she, we had, we would talk about mentoring mentors all the time. And she'd let me know that like, Oh, I half the people that I go to that I call mentors aren't in my lane at all. They're not in my mm -hmm. field there. She, she was telling me, you know, she's got mentors from, you know, higher up, uh, higher, higher ranking officers. She had, um, high enlisted individuals who've been in for years and they have like a wealth of knowledge too. And so she has like a wide variety of mentors, which I think is key. And I feel like I'm slowly starting to build you know, my mm -hmm. pool as well. I've never reached out and actually asked somebody like, Hey, can you be my mentor? There's just certain mm -hmm. people in my mind that it's like, they're my mentor. They don't, I don't know if they need to know that. Cause then I feel like <laughs> maybe they'll think I'm weird. I don't know, Aww. but I kind of love, and, and I know 
Nicole, you've asked me and I love that about you. I love like you've got a confidence that's that I wish I had at your, you know, where you're at in your career. Um, So I think it's just my own like stigma to it. I don't know um, the stereotypes that I've kind of put onto it. So it's right. I'm I'm trying to relearn and like, Mm -hmm. I guess, redefine a mentor for myself. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that and being so vulnerable about what that experience feels like for you and wanting to ask. I feel like a lot of us and our listeners can relate to that. Um, we've talked about this actually in another episode about the difference between coaching versus mentoring. And I feel like what you were describing describing was kind of that difference. Like, do you need some coaching when it's um, AOC or audi- army audiology specific on how do I do this role? How do I engage in that thing? When really a mentor is someone that you have that relationship with that you communicate with more specifically uh, on a deeper level. So mm-hmm. we can kind of think about the difference between teaching, coaching and mentoring in a time commitment and also in like, a surface level. So teaching just a brief skill, kind of more one way. Coaching is like, I'm going to help you develop the skill. We spend some more time together, maybe help you with a job specific thing. And then mentoring is much more personal and like professional development, personal things, integrating, you know, family life with work life, you know, that sort of stuff. It's a much more uh, vulnerable relationship, I feel like, Um, which it does. And we, um, (laughs) I I felt like that too. So um, just so our listeners have some background, I met Captain Day at an audiology conference. Oh my gosh, it seems so long ago, but it was like February of 2020 in Chicago. Before all the craziness erupted. Yeah, just before. Yeah, just before COVID. Uh, Well, like it was coming out, but we're like, oh, well, we're flying on a plane. It's fine. (laughs) It's only in Washington. It's so far away from us. Um, but we met and you were just so kind uh, to all of us new lieutenants and gave us wonderful advice and you are humble and so approachable and so wise. And I just loved how you could, I'm sure you could see on our face, you would say something and you're like, oh, well, that's this, this and that. You would just break it down for us. And I really appreciated that. And then I got to hear your uh, presentation about uh, leadership for junior officers with the, was it the APHC conference, the yeah. Public Health Command mm-hmm. Conference? Yeah. Um, And I just feel like you have such a wealth of knowledge that I personally need um, as far as like leadership and personal development. And you've been so um, honest with your perception of things, but also really positive. And I admire that. So uh, I called Captain Day one time after hearing her presentation. Oh, and you helped me. That's right. You helped me with the Bullock assignment. Yes. Did you do well on it? Uh, Girl, he didn't give me feedback. Come on. No, they gave me no feedback about it. I was proud of the work that I did. Be proud because that was was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, so I put like an SOS out of, I need help. I want to do this project and have me practice for my new role as a leader. Um, And basically we have to like write a job description and like expectations of someone that we're leading. And uh, Captain Day has helped me so much. Like it was like a whole day that we were talking and you were helping me. And then, then I heard your presentation and I thought, gosh, I really need more of her in my life. Uh, You're someone that I really want to emulate. And um, yeah. So then I called Captain Day and, you know, nervously was like, yeah, and I think you're great. Uh, Will you be my mentor? <laughs> no, I think that's great though. And and I love your confidence. And I feel when it comes to I think of like individuals as like, okay, how was I when I was a little lieutenant? 
I was like, ter- I was like enamored. I wanted to learn more, but then I was always afraid to ask. So me personally, as like a leader, I, I just make that first step and I'm like, I want to be, pro- I want to be approachable and I want them to feel like they can come to me and ask me anything. Cause I've, I've screwed up. I've learned. I've hopefully like, I, and I just don't want people making the same mistakes that I did. And so I just want to be open and honest so that people feel comfortable coming to me. And so that's kind of just, Cause I don't, I don't want people having the same unfortunate like experience that I did. And so that's just kind of, that's just me. Um, but, and then Nicole, I mean, if I just had your confidence too, that would be, what a pair. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll get stationed together. You can be the chief and I would, I would love to be your deputy and learn from you. Girl, don't, don't make me dream. Come on. <laughs> I had a few things to add to that because I think that conversation was great. You hit a lot of good points. Um, When you said you didn't know what questions to ask, so you felt like you were drowning, I 100% feel you on that aspect because since I got in my new role, I've always said, I don't know what I don't know. So me asking questions, I have people that want to help me, but I have no idea what to ask because I haven't been exposed to it yet. And then two weeks later, I'm drowning and don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And now I know what I don't know and I don't know anything. <laughs> so um, the, the questions definitely come. And I think it's it's okay to understand that you're going to have those times where you, where you don't know um, what to ask because it's so new. Um, but honestly, m- how I've grown the most is just getting thrown into it. And, and seeing, okay, this is, this is my new expectation. This is my new normal. And then finally knowing those questions to ask and reaching out to those people who originally wanted to help. And that's, that's been huge for me. And as well as finding um, a mentor, not only just for army or even outside of the army military, um, but specifically for your job. So your MOS, your AOC. So um, me not having a 70 Bravo mentor, hurt me for a long time. But now that I'm in the job and I realize how crucial it is to have those people to reach out specifically to what I need to do, because I can get army advice and military advice all day long um, from the mentors I have now, but specifically to a 70 Bravo aspect, I was, I was missing a lot of that uh, guidance. And so I was scrambling to find someone that I could go to. And I definitely have found those people and it's, it's made a huge difference. Um, Absolutely. Also being approachable. I love that. I always hit on that. My biggest attribute that I want in, in my leaders and as a leader myself um, towards my soldiers, I want to be approachable. I want to be relatable. I want them to be able to come up and talk to me, vice versa, um, be able to come have an open door policy with my commanders, with the people above me, because I think with that, without that personal aspect, you're, you're missing a lot, a lot of like leadership um, just ability to lead your people and get to know them on a more personal level. So uh, being approachable is super, super good. And I'm glad you hit on that. No, absolutely. The approachability factor too, and the open door policy, I feel like a, you, you hear a lot of, I feel like, I don't know one leader that doesn't say that they don't have an open door policy, but it's actually people utilizing it is really going to speak volumes. So mm-hmm. I know with, <clears throat> When, when I was at Fort Carson and when my chief came and 
you know, of course there's always going to be, they always say open door policy, but still everyone always would come to me, come to me, talk to me about things. And then I would like relay it up, you know, relay it up to change. And you know, sometimes that, that works too until unfortunately like you have a, a chief that doesn't understand, well, why are they only coming and talking to you? Why aren't they coming and talk to me? Mm. And then that's where you got to kind of like take a step back and be like, well, are you, are you approachable? Do people feel comfortable coming to you? Like that's, to me, that's when you have to have that awareness to be able to recognize like, you know, yourself as a leader and then also like as a, as a mentor too, even in that sense. Cause I know in, um, you know, there was that, I don't know, uh, Nicole, if you saw the, there was a presentation that um, for young officers that who direct commissions and um, fully qualified direct commissions. So even less, they were kind of seeing like, well, what, what do we need for you guys to, you know, be better at your position? And Mm -hmm. they mentorship came up a lot. And Mm -hmm. I remember at the end of the presentation, you know, a lot of individuals were like, well, you know, I feel like you got to ask these individuals, you got to ask them to, to be your mentor. And that's great. But again, the people who are high up, they got to, they, they need to be, you know, exuding the friendliness to an approachability to be able to, for these individuals to come to them and say, you know, and ask them formally or informally. But if, if there's no approachability or friendliness at the end of the day, then I don't, I don't, you know, care how much you say you want to be my mentor. If I don't feel comfortable coming to you, like I'm not going to, I'm going to close that door. Absolutely. You can preach all day that you have an open door (laughs) policy, but when they're not using that policy, you have to be self-aware and realize how you come off to other people. Um, I think, yeah, being self-aware is a huge thing as well. Um, Angela, you have an open ear policy, right? Is that what you call it? I do. I do have an open ear policy. That I I stole from a TED talk and, um, and I mean, it was just like too perfect. It was too perfect as an audiologist. So um, that one kind of goes back to like uh, active listening. You have two ears. So we should be listening twice, twice as much as we are talking. Mm-hmm. And so open ear policy. So rather than open door policy. So just kind of reinforcing the fact that we should be listening more than talking when other people do come to us. And then I had added like, I'm here for you. Like H-E-A-R. Hey, I love it. I love a good That's ear fun. I know. I know. <laughs> So that's in, that's in my office. I have like one of the message boards. So anyone who like walks in, they like see it and they just like, they chuckle at this point. They know I'm just like, I enjoy my puns when I do, um, for my staff at the end of the week, I do Friday news. I call it Friday, Friday news. And I, I send it out to my staff and then like, I always end it. I'm like, okay, it's been a week. We need a joke and I'll put like some punny jokes. So they just like, I'm, they know me, they know, and they just shake their head, but they secretly enjoy it. Everyone loves a good pun. It's just. Definitely. So anyway, <laughs> just part of my personality. <laughs> so what can you tell us about different leadership models? So there's a plethora of models out there. I think depending on where a leader is in their career, their leadership model can change. Um, I think. A couple good ones, though, for individuals who are just coming, like we were talking about before, getting thrown into a leadership position so early in our military careers. Um, I think there's a couple good ones. First one being is a strength-based model. So strength-based model is when 
the individual, first of all, as we talked about, you need to have that self-awareness. You need to know your strengths and your weaknesses. And using those strengths, you're going to lean in like so hard into your strengths. So you're going to make those weaknesses irrelevant. It's not that you don't have weaknesses and you're going to ignore them, but you just like recognize that, hey, I'm really good at, say, like you're really good at writing. So you're knocking out these MFRs, you're killing it. Um, but maybe like your communication skills, your oral skills could, you know, could use some improvement. Um, so you're going to want to like really showcase and highlight your writing skills. Um, and then, you know, maybe you find some creative ways to um, kind of, you know, imp not improve upon your oral skills, but heck, like in this time, day and age where a lot of things are Zoom meetings or just phone call meetings, like if you're a great writer, write out your what you want to say before you're going to have that phone call. So you're going to play to your strengths. Um, I know me personally, I'm very social. I say that's like one of my strengths. I just I love going out and talking to people. And then on the flip side, like I know my writing skills aren't probably where they need to be. But I so in that case, like anytime I have something I need to be written for like SOP or a really important email that's going up like the chain up to division or something. I'll get somebody to proofread it before I send it just so that I cover my bases. Like I know I'm not this. I don't want to make a fool of myself. So I'm going to have, I'm going to bring somebody else in and have them glance it over before I send it up. Um, so strength-based I think is key because it, everyone, I feel like coming into, you know, young officers come in bright and bushy tail and they want to be like the best in everything. And I just think it's really important to recognize that you don't need to be the best. Um, you, you're human. So you're on, honestly, you're not going to be the best at everything. Um, and having those weaknesses show, show that you are human, show your imperfections, provides you some vulnerability. Um, and so I think it, to me, honestly, makes you more of a genuine uh, leader. So personally, I think strength-based is a really great one for individuals to kind of like utilize when they first come in. Um, so if on the flip side, so if you're coming in and you're going into a, a role where you have a lot of um, you know, maybe civilians or soldiers that you're leading and they all have various time of times in service or experience levels, then I think a really great one for individuals to utilize is a situational model. So situational model is great when you have those varying differences within the, your ranks, because it's going to allow you to tailor your leadership model to their experience level. So mm -hmm. versus, so you have somebody who just started out, they're your, your beginner, if you will, um, and versus someone who's been in for like a year, two years or more, and then you've got that seasoned individual that's been here, um, and you can give them a task and delegate something to them, and you don't have to really worry about them so much asking questions. They're just going to be like, roger that, I'll get it done for you. Versus mm -hmm. that beginner where the communication is just mostly more one way, so it's I think of it when I get like a new technician, I'm going to be telling them a lot about what their job entails. Um, and again, knowing that they don't know what questions to ask, they're probably not going to be having a whole lot of questions at the very beginning. Now, when they start, you know, they've been in there for a few months, um, then you're going to, then they'll start having these questions. And so you're moving into more of like a coaching aspect where you're waiting for them to have the questions. You're, you're providing them answers. So it's more two way. Um, so you want to really start to shape and pull back on, on the direct, how, how direct you are with them. So mm -hmm. you kind of going through these different levels 
Um, and then for this one, it's just like really important to know that you want to, I really love the, the line, you're, you want to do leadership with them, not to them. So with that in mind, you got to let them know like, hey, you just started, uh, you know, I'm probably not going to be giving you a whole lot of like free reign. We got to get this. I got to make sure you know your stuff before I can trust you and to be able to move on from there versus, you know, moving towards the more experienced individual, letting them know like, hey, I, if you need me, if you need me, come, come to me, ask me questions. Cause in my mind, like, I think you're the expert, you're my go-to. Um, so if you feel like I'm not coming to you as often and that's why, because I feel like I, I don't really need to oversee you what you're doing. Cause mm -hmm. I know you got it. Um, and this might sound really like, well, no duh, you, you're, you'd want to do that for individuals. I mean, you should be surprised. I've seen individuals, unfortunately, where leaders kind of become more of micromanagers, and they're just going to provide that direct style leadership and that oversight to everyone. And not mm -hmm. everyone needs that, you know, and, and that's when you become more providing more of those negative behaviors. So you want to really just make sure that you're providing different level of oversight um, and communication to each each of the you know different individuals that you have um, that you might be rating them or providing information on how well they performed. So that's the situational model. And then the last one that I really like too is the 360 model. So this one I think is just fantastic because again, it's going to help you shape behaviors that's going to set you up for success and not go down the path of like, unfortunately, like toxic, toxic level of leadership. So 360, because it's going to keep you in mind that you're not only having to lead your subordinates, your your technicians, if you will, or, or lower ranking individuals, um, you're also going to be being a leader among your peers. So individuals within the, you know, the military, the same rank as you, you want to make sure that you're, um, you're, you're, a good example for yourself and them as well. And, and then also you're going to go above and you're going to be, um, you want to lead for your supervisor, your rater, senior rater. Um, and I think a lot of times we tend to forget the leading, the kind of a couple pieces. So leading across. Um, I know when I was a young Lieutenant, when I was at Walter Reed, we, it was obvious, like we're all, we're all kind of in competition with each other. We all came in the same time. We're all going to be going up to the promotion boards at the same time. And there was just like this level of like people holding their cards closer to their chest. Like I'm not going to show this information to you because then you can use it, do something really great with it and then outshine me. And then now oh, I'm not going to look as great. But really what leading across means is that you want to support the best idea. So you want to be able, again, being approachable to everyone, you want to have a good relationship with those within the same ranks as you and then provide and, and then support them when they come up with that really great idea. Mm -hmm. And it, you shouldn't be upset. I mean, maybe, maybe you're going to be a little jealous, like crap. I didn't think of that myself, but at the end of the day, you supporting them versus like going behind their back and start bashing them. Like that's, that's not being a good leader. So we got to think of leading across as well as um, within our model and then leading up, I feel like when we, as young officers, you know, you come in, you're being rated by two people above you. And so 
you might start getting in, you know, learning what their goals are, and then you're going to push them out and do any anything you can to reach their goals. Because if you're reaching their goals, you're looking great in their eyes, which is a good thing. You do want that, but you can't forget about your your subordinates and the individuals below you. Because if you're making like if the hours, you know, all of a sudden you're doing crazy long hours, you're you're creating burnout, you're um, creating perhaps like an unsafe environment, mm-hmm. then the those individuals below you aren't going to be respecting you because they're, you're not looking out for them. You're looking out for yourself because you're trying to look, make yourself look good in your supervisor's eyes. So it's more than just appeasing your, your bosses. Um, you want to be mindful of their, their goals, but you also have to, again, be mindful of your subordinates because you can't, you can't only be thinking about leading up. You got to, again, 360 model. So when you're leading down to your subordinates, you want to, again, we talked about being approachable. You want to get to know these individuals because they're the ones who's going to be pushing forward and doing the ideas that you create. So you want them to be intrinsically motivated. They want to, you want them to be wanting to help you and doing whatever they can to reach, to help you reach the mission. Um, So it's, you want to be able to, no, let them know that hey, you care about them. You care about their goals. You care. You want. You want to help them because if you want to help them and they see that and, and see how genuine you are, they're going to want to help you. So it's it's a balancing act, right? I mean, and it's going to take practice. But I think just knowing those key pieces of information that you shouldn't be just focusing solely on your superiors. You shouldn't be so like focusing on yourself um, because. You, you do want to make sure you're, you're providing a good um, example. You want to be a good role model, but you've got people below you watching you, what you're doing. Um, so it's three. So that's kind of why I like 360. It's just going to constantly keep your mind in the correct mindset that you have mm-hmm. to be thinking about all the players that see you day in, day out and how it can impact your career and your mission. So it's, it's a lot. I'm not gonna lie, it's a lot. But is it's leading yourself part of the 360 model. So leading yourself, I feel like it's it starts being a good leader. I feel like it starts with leading yourself the, the in the um in the best possible light. So I feel like you can't really be a leader to anyone unless you are first a leader to yourself. So you do want um I feel like at the crux of it, like at the center, it's like you leading yourself first before you can lead others. Um so if you if you feel you know that you're not um finding your strengths, finding your weaknesses, then before you can even dive into the others, then, then you're going to unfortunately um, not be on the right step to begin with. So you do need to lead yourself first. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That was a wealth of information. I'm sorry. It was, it was a I, lot. I love it. I took so many notes again, even though, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I liked that you hit on the fact that you need to not only assess like your strengths and weaknesses to be a good leader, but also your soldiers strengths and weaknesses, because I know they've hit on it a lot before the best way to get a job done is knowing your soldiers and knowing their abilities and placing and tasking those people um, in the areas that they shine and, you know, will get the job done. So that goes into being a good leader and knowing where to put those people so that you can get the job done and, and successfully in that matter. So I really like that. I think there's a good book about that. It's called Good to Great, I think. And it talks about putting people in the right seat on the bus. Like essentially you assess their skills and what they would be competent in and say, okay, you're going to do this role, you know? Um, 
I think that's really interesting. These are these are all um, really valuable that we can kind of incorporate with ourselves and um, potentially in the leadership roles. I just wanted to clarify a few acronyms that we used. Oh, um, sorry. No, it's totally natural. We do it. Um, PCS is a permanent change of station. So that's when we move from one duty station to the next. And an MFR is a memorandum for record, which is basically like a memo. It's a document that either you keep for yourself or you turn in for and then an SOP is a standard operating procedure, uh, which is just a procedure guide. So those are kind of the things that we're talking about in that military realm, because things in the military are so formal and so structured, and it has to be done this way and like literally the size of space between your bullet point to where your words start and you know, all of that. Anyways, okay, I'm off my soapbox about that just because like it's, it's a lot to learn. Um, no, absolutely. I think and now you know why I like my writing. I know that's like down here because I mean you have to have that the correspondence, a the army regulation for that like up right next to you as you're writing your thing because you're like oh is it three spaces or is it two spaces like two <laughs> enters oh my gosh it's a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sarah. You had a question or. I was just going to add like the 360 model. I think that's really interesting because I think we can get tunnel vision on how we need to come across and like what we need to be focusing on. But that 360 model really breaks down how you need to be well-rounded in leading, not only yourself, not only your soldiers, but up across, down, sideways, (laughs) all the ways. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. in the presentation that you gave previously, Angela, Mm -hmm. you said, um, because I was, I was looking at it before this about when we incorporate the strength-based model, we have to kind of accept that we're not always going to be well-rounded and good at everything. Mm-hmm. But I agree with the 360 model. You do have to be well-rounded in regard to who you're engaging with and how you're doing that. Like you still have to engage with all parts of it. Um, it just reminded me when Sarah said well-rounded, because that's what yeah. I was, I was thinking about like, you know, well-rounded in your assessment of yourself and your abilities versus who you engage with. And then I also wanted to add something else that you had said about the leading across, about complementing your counterparts and not competing against them. I feel like that's really valuable to build that community among your peers. And it's so interesting you say that about your experience at Walter Reed. Mine was completely different when we went through together. I know. I love them. Um, Shout out to Zach, Lauren, and Julia. You guys are the real homies. Um, we just supported each other so much and we're like, Hey, did you hear about this? Or we should do this. Or, you know, we just helped each other a lot. And then because we were there during COVID, we had to do a lot of projects. Mm. And so each project had a lead and each one had a support. So we got to be each other's support on different things. And then we also got to be the lead and it was just, it was so wonderful to collaborate together and we celebrated each other's successes and encouraged their ideas and gave feedback and we would review each other's emails before we sent them and, you know, just had this wonderful environment that I will forever cherish. And I hope that I continue to have workplace environments like that because I respect them so much. We all had our different strengths and we were just an incredible compliment to each other. So I hope everyone out there can be open enough and willing to accept that. I mean, there were things that I wasn't good at that they were way better at. And I'm like, teach me, how did you do that? Or, you know, help me um, and just be humble enough to not always be in competition because we knew we were being rated against each other. But I don't know, maybe personally, I just didn't care. I liked them so much that, you know, it didn't matter. <laughs> no, that's so good. You bring up a lot of really good points in that too, where um, the compliment not compete. So 
not and I want to like clarify competition on some level is healthy because that makes us better right you want to be you, you want some level but when it starts like not being fun and you come to work and you're like uh and you start thinking about like Karen's and, and all like, like <laughs> she's gonna try to like undermine me today or she's gonna try to like steal this and that from like obviously not good but compliment that's such a great example and man and I'm not I'm not I'm not like my my core group too once we left Walter Reed and we realized like, oh man, we're on this like island of we where we all end up being um chiefs of our own clinics when we got there, except wow. for except for I was gonna say except for Stacy, but her her chief was like doing all the hats and roles, like she was doing all these T2Is, so she was pretty much like she was fine solo too. So we realized real quickly like we we gotta like reconnect and share all the information that we're learning. Um, so that we can improve our clinics too. And and I remember like the same thing, like we all have our strengths. There's certain aspects of audiology that I was like, I need to go to my, to my girl, Saruti and ask her about like auditory processing disorders. Like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> what I, what I need to improve upon. And so it's, it's so helpful when, whenever you like the curtains open and you realize like these people aren't here we're not competing always with them. Like they can help me. I can help them. And, um, there's no reason not to like after, and it's almost like, you know, what, after we left Walter Reed, we had our OER or our evaluations done. And then we're coming up to our promotion boards that we're like, we got to make sure we're all, we all get our paperwork done on the same time. Like we all get it submitted. Like we all like, that's when we really started to, to have that bond and, and started helping each other out because I mean, like, if you don't have that group, if you don't have your peers to help you, like, get through the same hurdles, mm-hmm. you're 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 on an uphill battle a lot of the time, a right. lot. So it's just helpful when you have a good group. Absolutely. <laughs> shouldn't it shouldn't be a struggle every day, right? It shouldn't be. Okay. So, uh, thank you for sharing all of that. I love hearing, uh, your personal experiences and just shout out to all the army audiologists. We are a close knit community. Like it's a great, it's a great group. Um, absolutely. And I've had wonderful positive experiences with so many people. Um, we've talked a lot about like positive, uh, leadership style, well, leadership models really, but it's not always like that. And it's not always within our power to, you know, work under great leaders or to change the culture that significantly. Um, Can you share with us some of your experience and advice that you have for working in a toxic work environment? Absolutely. So one, I want to like define toxic leadership um, because there's, there's different types of negative or destructive leadership. Like if you, there's someone who could just be targeting one individual versus um they're like other uh, other aspects so what i mean by this is that toxic leadership is actually is a combination of self-centered attitudes motivates and behaviors that have adverse effects on subordinates the organization and the mission performance so this isn't just about one person targeting one individual that's like you know equal opportunity issues that's bullying there's that in itself is very negative on the individual versus this leader is having a huge impact not only on the clinic but on the organization themselves so the performance of everything so it's kind of like bigger than them and they don't real they don't always realize it so 
when it comes down to toxic leadership, it's, I feel like a lot of people tend to think like, oh, there needs to be like verbal abuse, people yelling, which could be an aspect of it. But it, and on the other side, it could just be one individual who is getting all the, all the glory, if you will. Like if you say your clinic, your team does everything amazing. And then next thing you know, they're using that information, turning around and saying like, look out, look how awesome I am. Look at all the stuff that I completed and then not giving credit where credit's due. So it may not seem like, again, like that's as big as a deal as it is, but if that person consistently does that, then they're undermining the trust of their individuals that work for them. Then, and the, once you lose trust, you're going to start seeing a deterioration in your, in the department you're at, the clinic you're working under the, and just the relationship that you have with that supervisor. Um, because if there's no trust, then communication breaks down. Everything just crumbles. Uh, it's definitely the foundation of a great leader um, and just a great leadership style communication, but ultimately trust. So you need that to, to go um, to be able to have to, to accomplish your mission, really. Because um, once that goes and individuals are going to start being anxious, they're going to start coming to work and be like, is this person what's going to happen today? So from when you, I'm trying to speak eloquent. So at times for, if you find yourself in this situation, because you're going to want to, I don't know, you're, you're going to want to fix it, right? You're like, something's wrong. I want, this person needs to kind of recognize that like what they're doing is, inappropriate. Um, it's hurting our clinic. People are quitting. You know, that's, that's a huge sign. When you start getting people who are leaving turnover rate, uh, people don't want to stay because of the culture that was created from the leader, then great. That's a huge sign that there's something wrong. Um, unfortunately for us in the military, we can't quit. <laughs> can't quit. So then, so then it turns into, you're like, well, oh my gosh, I got to like fix this. I got to figure this out. But if you yourself, like you're terrified, this person rates you, this person has like, can give me a counseling. This person's going to give me a bad rating. I mean, you kind of, become, I feel like you become paralyzed and you're not really sure where to go. Um, you can always go up the chain. You can try to talk to their supervisor, but here's, here's a huge issue when it comes to toxic leaders they look so great in the eyes of their boss because mm -hmm. they're taking the credit. They're reaching those short-term goals and their supervisor loves that. They're like, and, and so they're kind of like blinded by the fact that there could be this huge problem that's going on underneath them. So they don't, unfortunately you can go to the, the supervisor and unless they take you seriously, open an investigation, or just come over themselves and talk to the other you know, individuals who work below this person, this is going to just continue to happen. So from like a perspective, um, and, and this is talked about in the 360, 360 model, is that whenever you have um, an incompetent leader. So the frustration challenge, so an incompetent leader, which is a type of toxic leader, you're going to want to fix them. And what the advice is from, from John Maxwell is 
you can't, you can't fix them. You can only fix yourself and you shouldn't be fixing them. So it's hard for, you know, me, I, so I was in a situation and I was very determined on trying to fix the individual. Um, so John Maxwell tells you to like, oh, provide them resources, you know, have them, um, you know, maybe you come across like an article or, you know, I love podcasts or, and books, try to get them to like read it, you know, so that they improve it. But the thing that it doesn't easily work like that. So when you have someone that level of incompetence, it's, they don't see that they're doing anything wrong. They mm -hmm. don't. So you have to change yourself. And until you want to make that change, you're just going to be going to work every day with a level of anxiety, that feeling that you're like walking on eggshells. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's, it's a terrible feeling. It's, an, it's terrible. And nobody wants to go to work like that. And because, you know, we can't leave, we can't, you know, we can only wait until our next move. You, I mean, the only way that like you can have a mental, like mentally be able to overcome that, like you have to be willing to, to make the change. Um, how that works, how that looks like is just accepting the fact that, that your work is going to be taken from you, accepting the fact that, um, you know, this person might be upset with you because you, people are, um, like they just, they just want to have a, a level of control over you and you just have to accept the fact that they're going to have that control. Um, so you're going to kind of move with the punches. Not obviously like, again, if someone's punching you or bullying you, like that's different, but this is just, it's more like a mental, it's mentally exhausting and you just have to go through those hurdles. Um, mm -hmm. And then once you've accepted it and moved on and realized this is something that's temporary and I can, I can, I'll be okay on the other side. You know, I might mm -hmm. not get the best rating. I get those counselings. Is that going to be the end of my career? No, it's not. It's not. And if you're doing the right thing, if you're doing the right thing, then you're going to be okay. But you mm -hmm. have to accept it and you just have, you can't um, kind of dwell on it so much. You just have to right. chalk it up. I feel like the, the hard thing in dealing with toxic environments is that it is so far out of your control. You're, you know, potentially self-aware of what you contribute or your skills and attributes, but can't necessarily make the leader or change a culture, you know? And I absolutely have felt that being in a toxic environment where every day, like before I walked through the door, I had this huge tightness in my chest and I'm like, do I want to cry? Am I going to scream? Am I going to be silent today? Like what's going to happen? And uh, it was just, it was awful to experience every day feeling so um, challenged and unaccepted and not being able to change things and working really hard and it being like thrown to trash, like, you know, it doesn't matter or being told that you're trying to like outshine other people by doing your job well. And it's like, you know, gosh, I'm working really hard and trying my best and being put down for it. And it's, it's definitely very discouraging. And, um, I would say on a personal level, I completely agree. We have to come to a place of acceptance that it is what it is and not try to take it personally. I was taking it very personally. Same. Like I was being personally attacked by, you know, they don't like me kind of thing, you know, um, and really um, had to come out of that shell 
and accept that I do have strengths and I am working hard and that's okay. And if these people don't like me or if they're going to treat me differently, like it is what it is, that's their problem. I can't try to fix it and just try to like barrel through cope with it and get through to the other side and try to step back and see the bigger picture that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And um, for our civilian and I'm going to say normal people, because, <laughs> you know, for real, I consider it real life. I miss real life. Um, you know, you can leave, you can ask for a change in a job or, you know, get a different manager or, you know, there's options for us military folks where we have to stay where we are for a few years and be with that leader as long as they're there or in that culture and environment the best thing that you can do is to accept it and try to improve the environment with those around you. Because if you're suffering from it, you're probably not the only one. So at least support your other colleagues or the people that you lead and have some positive things. And then also find positive things to do outside of work that make you happy. When work is terrible all day, every day, and you carry that burden home, it's so sad. And I, I, I know that because I experienced it for a really long time. And you have to find and do things that make you happy and like compartmentalize what happens at work is a work problem and then be happy with your home life, you know? I totally agree with that. Um, I think finding the positive people and finding the positive things outside of work and even at work, finding positive things at work, the little things throughout your day that can keep you going and push you through that. But once you get home, um, give yourself time to, experience that emotion of frustration and let it out because mm-hmm. you you can't hold it in. Don't hold it in because it's going to affect the way you work and your ability to get things done effectively. But also taking time to give, give yourself that set time, but then cut it off and go about your day and do something outside of work that makes you happy. I think that's so, so important to kind of check out from that mentally, or you're just going to drive yourself. You're going to drive yourself crazy. If not, uh-huh. My adult model is I just like, yeah, no, I was going to say this is, um, you might find this funny, but my thing is like, I'm just going to cry all the way home from where I am until I get home. And then once I get home, I'm like, all right, now I have to let this go. But I got my good cry out. (laughs) Yeah. I would end up like, I have to grieve. (laughs) No, absolutely. I would end up like calling my, my sisters. One of, one of my older sisters, I was just like, I I don't know. I, I, I couldn't, I didn't know how to like, what, what to do after you execute your avenues and you're like, Oh, I try to talk to so-and-so like try to talk to my boss today and pretty much it was like, suck it up, you know? And then I'd go home and I'm like, I thought I was doing a good job at sucking it up. And then like <laughs> ugly, ugly tears, but. It takes you know, the approachability I, away. I think of, oh, of that leader. Bring it back, Sarah. Yes. <laughs> the approachability is so important. It so is. Important. Because even if they do, Oh, how's your day going? If, if that's a toxic leader, it's just going to feel like a little check the box. Exactly. They don't actually care. They're no, just no. going through the motions and they're like, okay, anyways, next. They're not actually actively listening, being mindful of the conversations they're having, being mindful of, of you and your life. It's all for show. So Exactly. Is this going to get me to my mission? Is this going to get me to like, I can you know, go back to my boss and tell him like, oh, we got this done today. Oh, we reduced the amount of backlog today. No. So unless you're, you know, so it's, it's, yeah, it's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing I think it's so important to feel appreciated, even if you're doing something that is under your job description and you have to do it. um, I've made it a point to tell my soldiers like, Hey, I appreciate you. I had them go to the motor pool and bring me a a ton of medical equipment up to our company's building because I needed it up there. And 
that that's what they're there for. They're there to accomplish the mission. And that was a key task to accomplish this mission. But I made sure I made sure to say, Hey, thank you for doing this. Like I appreciate y'all y'all bringing it up here. Cause they were, they were sweating, bringing big old HEMA coolers up mm-hmm. all this, all this equipment. And, and even though it is a part of their job description and they, they kind of have to do it. Um, just making sure they feel appreciated because I know that's important to me, even if I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. And I'm, I, I want to feel appreciated for that. And so I think it just goes back to being personable and approachable and, and they, and they like it. They care a lot more when they feel like they're appreciated in their work that they've done is um, noticed. I think. No, absolutely. Showing appreciation is huge. It's huge. And it's so easy to me. It was like, as long as you're genuine, as long as you're genuine and you actually, you, you truly do care and you're grateful for the work that's being done. Yes. Like your people will bend over backwards for you. If you are genuine and you truly are thankful of all the work they're putting into it. It's, to me, it's like no brainer. It's, but easier mm-hmm. said than done, I guess. Right. It's so easy to just say, Hey, thank you. I appreciate that you did this for me and go about the day that could make their day. If they had a bad day and they get told that they're appreciated for something that is like an everyday task, it could completely change their mood. So true. Um, Angela, I know that you are getting a degree in organizational psychology. Is that right? Industrial organizational psychology. Yes. I'm so sorry. Okay. No, it's okay. Industrial organizational psychology. It's It's so interesting. No, I love it. (laughs) Um, And I imagine that that has inspired a lot of this research and knowledge that you've acquired recently and, you know, also with your own experiences. And something that we wanted to learn about is the Dunning-Kruger effect. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So so a little bit of background on the industrial organizational psychology degree is because of my experience at Fort Carson, I was, I wanted to become a better leader. I wanted to be able to have um, really productive, like effective working environment. And I love podcasts. I feel like I stumbled upon this degree, uh, like through like a podcast of a podcast of a podcast, but (laughs) shout out to Adam Grant, who he's phenomenal. He, um, he's got his own podcast called work life. And essentially it's like how to make work not suck. And I, it's probably one of my favorite podcasts. And and I remember listening to it and I'm like, man, like this is just gold in each episode. It was like learning, you know, how to motivate individuals, um, just all the things, you know, better work, uh, teams, better working team building, better working in, in the team environment. Um, so, I remember like Googling him the one day and I was like, what does he do? And he is industrial organizational psychologist. And I was, and then that just kind of got the ball rolling on me trying to want to figure this out because it, this degree encompasses, you know, how to sustain, how to make change in an environment and then how to sustain it, how to build cohesion, build better teams, all the different leadership models. Um, so essentially how being, how to be a better leader, um, research, within like how to conduct research studies, how to create like effective trainings for, mm-hmm. for in the, for an organization. So everything about it, I was like, this just sounds like straight up my alley. So I 
started taking some classes and um, the most recent class I'm currently in is a research methodology class. And we had to, you know, look up a bunch of different articles, things like that, kind of standard graduate work. But um, the timing of everything was right. So I had just met with like my senior reader and I loved absolutely like what he did in his like first um, initial counseling. He gave me a list of 10 characteristics and then he wants, he asked me to rate myself from one to 10 on how well I thought that I, I am in each of them. And so we're, it's like everything from like physical fitness to approachability um, to how well you work in teams. And so I remember he's like giving me this and then um, he's like, so some of these are, you know, pretty like easy to grade yourself, assess yourself because with physical fitness, he's like, obviously you can use your PT score and that's going to allow you to, um, grade yourself a little bit more easily. But for some of these, you know, it's going to be subjective and you have to have that again, the awareness we're talking about. So he gives me that. And then he goes, and then I want you to read this article. And it was on the Dun Dunning Kruger effect. And I remember reading this and I'm like, I feel like every, every reader, senior reader, anyone needs to have their, their individuals read this article. So the article is just a summary of the Dunning-Kruger effect. And it's essentially that incompetent individuals actually overestimate their performance abilities. So I went back and actually reread the original article, which was done in 1999. And they they dive into this they they came from four sub studies and they were looking um kind of like a range of the different topics so they were looking at how well you know people rating themselves on how like humorous things are so humor was one logical reasoning and then grammar mm -hmm. were like the three main topics to see how well individuals test on them and then so they gave them the test and then they asked them like okay well how well do you think you did on it mm -hmm. and each time the lowest performers thought they were they did significantly better like it was like 50 or 60 points better than what they thought they did so we're talking about like overestimation on really how well they performed and so one of the studies also was okay well let's take the lowest performers and the top performers and let's have like the counterparts kind of like just see their results. So the lowest performers got to see the results of the highest performers. And then they asked them again to reassess their abilities. They actually increased their scores. They thought they did better. So just because they saw what right looked like, they like still couldn't grasp the fact that like, I, I did this wrong. They actually thought they did better. And it wasn't, yeah, it, right, like I'm eating this article up. I was like, this is fantastic. And phenomenal and it wasn't until the underperformers were actually given a specific training on so I think they were using logical reasoning they pulled like questions from the LSAT so they gave them like a training on logical reasoning and then they had them again reassessed and it wasn't until they get they were given the training so essentially creating themselves like as like a mini expert in that field that they finally like recalibrated how well they performed how well they thought they performed so I am just fascinated by this topic because in my mind, I'm like, 
very passionate about, I want, I want better leaders in the world. I want better leaders, not only in the military, but in the private sector. And I feel, you know, then toxic leadership kind of has like its special place in my heart. Um, because again, I want to reduce as many toxic leaders as possible. Like I just read this article and I was like, well, how, I, I mean, I want to apply this, you know, I want toxic, like this is, even when a toxic leader like sees something, right? Like, oh, I give them that podcast to read or, or to listen to or, or book to read. Even when they see or like hear what good leadership looks like, they're not they're not going to make that connection. It's not until they actually get the training on it. In my mind, this is just like all theoretical, but I mean, I would love research down the road. Who knows? Maybe someday. But um, but hmm. I just I you know, right? But I I just think this is such like um so critical in the moment and I really want to dive more into it but I just think it's like such an intriguing topic anyway so my it all started with my senior reader who I he's amazing um and I was just thinking I was like man where were you (laughs) so anyway great great tool self-assessment and then just kind of using that information but again if they don't if they don't have their awareness, then they're not going to, they're not going to think, you know, they're still going to think that they're amazing and all, right. all these topics. So it's. If someone is not performing well, but they think they're doing great. And we, as the leader are like, wow, you're missing the bar completely. <laughs> or, you know, you're really lacking. We're having to cover and, you know, do all this extra work and stuff. Um, how should we approach that? Do we sit down and say like, all right, let's do a formal training on like how to do this or how to do this task or, you know, and give them more instruction where it's guided, not just feedback on a specific thing or what can we do when we're working with people like that, that think they are God's gift and we're like, uh, maybe not yet. <laughs> no, I think that's a great, great question. And I think I really, um, I think it'll depend on where this person is like in like in the department because if there's subordinates below them like say you're talking to like like a team leader or like an nco someone where there's like subordinates below them you're gonna want to go to the subordinates and like get their feedback first and make sure that like hey are how are things going to really identify like truly if this person is that unaware because if they're coming and telling you like no i got this but then you go and talk to the subordinates and be like no he is on a completely different page then yeah, you're going to want to go and specifically like target that area and have a, um, like a training session. I, cause I don't mm-hmm. even think like an LPD, like a le- leadership professional development. I, again, if these people think that they're doing phenomenal, then talking about it, I don't like you, they need to be, a tr- they need to be trained. And I don't know if they're like, I know there's plenty of conferences and books out there that, tell you how to be a great leader. Um, so I think that's the part right now where it's just like, there needs to be like a solid training that mm-hmm. it comes into play that can teach somebody like how to build better teams or, you know, what have you um, until, so I, it, there's gotta be a training involved at some point. It can't just be, you know, or, or maybe, or, you know, it could be that feedback. It could be that brutal, honest feedback. Like, yes, you got this done, but do you realize like what you did to get there? Like, mm-hmm. and bring attention to like, um, 
But I think, again, that's where like the research, we got to get some more research in on it. We do. Yeah, because what I'm thinking in my mind is like, let's say, let's use an example of, of writing, right? Mm. And they wrote something and maybe it's it's not structured well. But with, with the study, they found, oh, even if they showed them good quality work, they didn't necessarily recognize that. So I wonder if it may be uncomfortable, but putting like good quality work next to their work and saying, okay, now I want you to revise your work to be more like this or redesign or what do you see that's different? And maybe kind of like walking them through building from where they are to, yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm asking this question. I don't know. No, Um, it's a good question. In my mind, it's like, you know, if, if showing them the standard is not enough, then how else do we train them on a formal training or, you know, have them compare or build that skill themselves? You know, I think that's really interesting. I think that's a great example. What you did. I I think realistically, like that's probably a great starting point. We like, no, really, this is right. Yours was wrong. (laughs) You need to, you need to, you know, mimic more of this one and then kind of explaining why and then seeing if they get it and then having to, then following up and making sure that it's sticking versus them being like, Oh, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. Right. You mentioned something explaining the why, which I think is really important Mm, because mm -hmm. sometimes it's easy when it comes down from a leader to be like, Oh, I want it to be this way. You know, just in the same way that we could reorganize a sentence with the same words, who's more right. Does it matter? You know? Mm. So we explain the why again with the example of writing and say, this is what you wrote. This is how it could be interpreted. These are the areas that it's lacking. Someone could read this and miss this information. You implied this, but it's not explicitly stated, you know, kind of pointing that out of this is, this is the flaws and this is what's missing and now produce a product that addresses those things. I think might, it might give some reasons. This is why it's, needs to be improved, not just because I want it done a quote unquote certain way, but these are the misunderstandings or issues down the road. And especially in us being leaders of soldiers or people's lives and their well-being is on the line. If something is not done well and there's a risk of injury, you know, we have to be explicit, explicitly clear in what we're doing, how we're communicating with people. Um, so I think, I don't know, maybe that's a good idea. I love it. It's I an mean, idea. That's I love it. I'll explore. I would love to explore more with yeah. That's that was a great idea, great example too. And I think it's a, a step in the right direction. Absolutely. To and just like you said, it's just one example. But I think I think the implications of it can be huge. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So to kind of wrap it up, um, what are some important things? What are some important things for new young leaders and female leaders um, to know about stepping into their new roles? Oh, I love that question. Um, the so I mean I think I'll, I'll narrow it in for my female leaders because I I think there's just different levels of challenges as a female leader and um, gosh I feel like that could be like an, an entire episode in itself but for. <laughs> for females. But I guess like coming, you know, within, from my, my experience, my background is like, don't, don't be afraid to, to have, you know, make a decision and then sticking with the decision. Um, and, and just really owning it. It could be wrong. It could be wrong, but you know, just making that decision. And I guess this isn't strictly for females, but anyone really Mm -hmm. out there, 
whatever decisions you're going to make, you want to commit to them and then support them. Because I think the worst, one of the worst things that can happen as a leader is just being indecisive. Um, so stick with it and, and kind of go from there. And then for, here's, here's my tidbit for my female leaders. It's just, don't get hung up on, on the, the worry and concern. And, and this could just be me, but I'm always worried that like, how's this going to be perceived? Is, is me saying this going to step on their toes and it's going to make them not like me as much? Like there's the whole likability factor. Then don't, don't worry about it. Um, and again, as long as you're doing the right thing, you know, if somebody wants to come at you and say like, oh, you're really emotional, then okay. I took that. I'm like, I'm really passionate about it. You know, I'm, I don't Absolutely. find that being emotional. I think that's me making a decision. And if, you know, if it comes across as emotional, then thanks for your opinion, but it's unneeded. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. I, cause that's just something I've been told a lot. I've been told, you know, I'm too emotional in, in certain aspects and I don't think being emotional, I, it's poor. It's like pick a new word, you know, in my mind, mm -hmm. but um, making a decision and then just not being worried about what other people are going to think. And as long as you're doing the right thing, then there's really nothing to worry about. Mm -hmm. I feel like the emotional thing is kind of used as a deflection, like, oh, you're being emotional. It's like, um, don't devalidate what I'm saying. What I'm saying is still important. Even if I have emotion behind it, it still needs to be done. It's still serious, you know? Exactly. Hence me feeling so strongly. But right. <laughs> it's really degrading to throw the emotion side into it. I don't think there's anything wrong with being passionate about a subject. So, Absolutely. and I don't know any, I don't know any about man. people. Yeah. Well, exactly. And I don't know any man who's ever been like, that gets the, the E word thrown at them. And like, e -word. <laughs> so I, I mean, there's really no, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a part of the conversation whenever you're trying to, you know, make a statement and, and get your, your mission complete and having to, you know, give a speech or presentation, this shouldn't be ever brought up, but. Mm -hmm. um, I was certain that you were going to slip in the, the uh, likability trap book right there. <gasps> I do love that book too. No, honestly, it's a great read. Um, I strongly, I strongly recommend reading it. I think it's Alicia Mendez. I That's like right. Mm -hmm. Yes. She's great mm -hmm. because honestly, it's something that I feel like a lot of females encounter where they're so overly concerned on, you know, that feeling of, well, crap, if I make this decision, they're not going to like me. Or if I have this stance, they're not going to like me. Um, you know, it can go a million different ways. And we then become overly concerned about what other people think. And, and again, it could just be me, but that's, that's, I feel like I constantly struggle with that. I constantly feel like if I make this decision, people aren't going to like me as much. And therefore it's going to make me less of a leader. And I don't think that's the case, but it's, mm -hmm. it's a step in the right direction to start changing that mindset um, and not falling into the likability trap. So, right. yeah. So good. I struggle with that also. So good. I, I feel like I always used to, before I read that book, I always describe myself as like a people pleaser Mm -hmm. Because I like really didn't want that. Um, like I just wanted people not to, you know, it sounds so, so, uh, you know, cliche. I wanted people to like me, but, um, but when I, after reading that book, I was like, oh my gosh, it's just, there's so much more. It's, 
there's so much more into it and how we think and and it's definitely more females fall prey to it fall, fall prey to that trap so yeah got to get out of it Can't it's think definitely it. been hit on that leadership is not likership that's what mm. has been pounded into my head um because I've fallen into the trap where I want, I want them to like me. I want everyone to like me. I don't want to be, I don't want to cause any friction, but you get to the point where you're trying to be liked, where you're in, you're ending up being a pushover and people are going to take advantage of that. So you have to know your boundaries and you have to learn how you can kind of balance that because you don't have to be a jerk leader and just be mean and like, like a dictator almost um, you, you can find balance in that, but you have to remember at the end of the day, you're not there for people to like you. You're there, you're there to get a job done. Exactly. Um, so I think that's something that I've really had to uh, remember starting out uh, as a new officer is that not everyone's going to like me. And sometimes I'm going to have to step on toes to get things done. And that's okay. And, yep. And that's okay because you're taking initiative and that's all that matters because you're going to get the job done at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been wonderful. Absolutely loved having you on. I learned so much. Took another page of notes. Yes. <laughs> All the notes. <laughs> you guys are wonderful. I mean, I think what you guys are doing here is fantastic and it's such a great platform for young leaders to to learn from. And so I I mean, I really I appreciate what you guys are doing and I'm so excited for, for the information you guys are pushing out. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon, ma'am. Sounds good. It's good seeing you both. <laughs>